This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Alex Bradfield, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I'm very excited because I'm a big fan of Better Reading on Facebook I- <laughs> and in podcasts, and I just love listening to you and the authors. Yeah, well, um, I know that because you sent me an email recently just after my mother died, and it was just a beautifully written, very, very perceptive email. So thank you. Well, I feel for you. Alex, let me introduce her. She's a former relationships counsellor, career strategy consultant, and a columnist for the Herald Sun. She co-wrote a book called Job Loss, A Family Affair. Today, she's talking about her new book, Energy for Life, and it's a practical guidebook about health and well-being in the second half of our lives, in which Alex interviews experts for their advice. She also learnt a lot from her parents, who were once the oldest couple in Australia. Mm. Tell me about that. Well, they are, they were 206 years old together. It's, we, we know about centenarians, but to have two in a couple is, I think, unique. Good genes. And, well, people all say that, Cheryl, but what interested me about them was the fact that they lived such a long life and yet no one else in their family had that longevity. And in mm. fact, this book is not about longevity because the purpose of it was really about um, feeling good during the day, but I'm diverting. Um, so I, I really began in retrospect to think about how wh- how were they different? What, what was different about them that may have meant a longer life? Mm. And um, what was different? Well, there were a lot of things. I think, one, they were both lifetime learners. I remember my father, he went to a, a seminar to improve his tennis when he was in his 80s. And came back and said, well, you know, people were so surprised to see me there and I, I, don't, I don't know why. And the same thing happened when at my mother's 100th birthday when they danced together. Now, he's a young, he was a younger man. We used to call him the toy boy. He was the younger man. But they, they danced at her 100th birthday. Mm. And once again, with the thank you letters, lots of people were expressing amazement about this. And they were surprised, you know. So... They never, they, another thing they did, they didn't harp on the good old days, you know. Oh, mm. there's so many older people do. Oh, you know, it was, oh, this. Oh. If they thought about something in the past, it was always to say, Do you, you remember that party we went to when this happened? Or so it was always a happy memory. And otherwise, they were grounded in today. What are we going to do today? And let's plan for next week. Mm. So well, I'm living in Melbourne, as you know. I can remember calling them up on various occasions and my mother said, oh, the sun is shining. Uh, it's a Dalesford day. So they'd hop in the car and drive off to Dalesford. But they enjoyed, they enjoyed their life. And my father wrote a couple of books in his 80s, one of which is a Belinda 
Audiobook. Oh, there you go. Well, they're our sponsors and we love Belinda. I, I want to talk about, so, you know, as you know, my mother died very, very, very mm. recently. And so we kind of started to notice things went right. She got dementia, but only recently. It was the January before COVID. And my brother told me that mum couldn't put the key in the ignition of the car. And when we took her to the doctor, she was on no medication, mm. nothing. And she was mm. 83. I was I was equally surprised with that as the doctor was, but she had just lived such a full life and she, like your parents, I think she kept young by interacting, mm-hmm. you know, and she was blessed with so many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have young people around you, that kind of, I think, changes your attitude to life you know I agree yeah I agree and it's actually one of the things that my parents also did when I think about it there weren't many people around who were as old as they were so Mm. they kept adopting younger people I think that did make a big difference it really does I mean my mum was still playing on the rug on the floor you know which I don't know if I can do with the grand great-grandchildren you know that you had so but it does Mm -hmm. make you think and reflect and I don't want to get um sad about this because she really just had such a full happy life but you know talking about longevity do we need to live to 100 or do we need to live live well to whatever we get to I think the latter Cheryl and and because my parents did live such a long time some people think this book is about longevity as I've said that wasn't my purpose no because if you live 30 more years uh, but you're not enjoying your life uh, what mm. <laughs> what's the point? Mm, what's uh, the point? That's that's exactly right. Um, so talk to me about the book and how that came about. Well, as as I mentioned, part of it was uh, starting to get very curious about my parents and what on earth was it about them that kept them going. The other thing I began to notice is if something goes wrong with our health, we've got this wonderful medical fraternity. Thank God for them. They make us better and they've got all kinds of tools at their disposal to help us. However, there's not a lot that doctors do in terms of helping us to live our best life in terms of of health. And in fact, the last chapter is about, well, I interviewed all these, these people. So the last one I interviewed was an ICU doctor of 20 years. So he had a lot of medical experience. So did his wife, who was in a comparable uh, career. He had a burnout, which doesn't surprise me, having worked in ICU for so long. And he realized he didn't know very much from medical school about looking after himself. Mm. So I have found people in my life who have been so helpful to me in terms of my waking up in the morning and feeling good about running through the day one way or another. And I wanted to pass on some of what I have learned. Do you know, I think it's really interesting, the perception of looking after yourself. I live alone, as you know, and I live in an apartment. Oh, well, I don't live alone. I've got a little dog called John Yes, Brown. He's having yeah. his parlour day. He has one of those once every couple of months. But anyway, I live next door to a park and I'm still doing stuff. I box, I walk, I swim. But what I do love, what I do love, Alex, and I don't know if I've ever said this on, the, on this podcast, is I do like an, an occasional afternoon nap. Yes. Right. Why not? Why not? Do you know there is a real stigma around that? And also the nana naps, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness, that's only for old people. I am married to a man who has had naps for as long as we've been married. When we married, I was in my 20s and he was in his 30s and he used to have naps. And I thought, oh, I'll do that when I'm in my 30s, which (laughs) I didn't. 
he it's uh you know it's kept him going sometimes yeah. and that's listening to the body isn't it i'm tired yeah um, but people say like you know i'm not able to get one in every day obviously because i have a job but i really hmm. try to but say for instance my sister calls and she's oh did i wake you up yeah yeah i was just having a little lie down oh some people are lucky oh but well, there is a perception that if you're not working really hard and wearing yourself out yes uh, and busy. If you're not busy. busy, busy, busy. Now, one of the chapters in the book, Simon, who is the founder of a lifestyle studio called Happy Melon, I, I was very interested when I first heard his personal mantra, which is busy is a reality. Pausing is a necessity. Stress yeah. is a choice. And I thought my first reaction was stress is a choice. Stress is a choice. No, it isn't. I've got this and then this. Hap- but actually, he's so right. I mean, grief is a stress. And I'm not talk- And he wasn't talking about that either. Mm. He was talking about being at a red light when you're late for a meeting and your blood pressure goes up and you're think of what you're doing to your body and your mind when actually <laughs> it's not a matter of life and death. Send a text. So, <laughs> yes. Just so, tell them you're running late. Yeah. So, exactly. Or leave a little earlier. Or the, yeah. These are things in our control. And yeah. pausing being a necessity simply means we can, we can breathe slowly when we're at the red light. Or, mm. So, there are lots of things we can do to minimize our stress levels. I spoke with Patrick King many years ago, I think, about four years ago when I first launched this podcast. And you'll know, know of her for sure. And she was talking about how now when people get sick, they don't convalesce. That idea of convalescing has disappeared. And I do see that in people like, you know, people that are diagnosed with breast cancer or and they they just want to get back to work and they want to be busy and they want to get on. And she said there's nothing wrong with sitting in a chair in the sun with a blanket around you. And, and a good just, book. And a good book. And, <laughs> a try, good book yes. and trying to feel better, you know, like yes. just giving your body that rest that you need. Mm. So um, my mother died on a Saturday and we only had a couple of days to organise a funeral because it was Easter. And then if we hadn't had it then, we would have had to have waited a long time. So it was a crazy busy time. In my grief, I've begun to realise that 50% of grief is complete exhaustion. Mm. You know, it is so exhausting because mm. the shock of the death is mm-hmm. so exhausting. So you need to rest before you can actually start dealing with the other 50% mm. of the grief. Mm. But anyway, I was lucky enough, really lucky enough, after the funeral, I have friends that live up in the North Coast and they invited me to their place for four days. They were so beautiful and they spoiled me rotten. Oh. And we swam in the ocean and we walked on oh. the sand and, you know, they prepared meals for me and... Mm. But I came back five days later and I saw my family and again, you know, they're, oh, wow, you look great considering. Like, you know, everybody was shocked that I took the time out to get my energy back. But that is, it's it's how society thinks. You're not allowed to do that. Mm. Well, and yet they noticed how well you looked and they might have been a little envious that uh, you'd had that time. And But it is true. There seems to be this badge of how be- everyone says, mm. how are you? You busy? Mm. <laughs> but we don't have to. And, of course, no. I'm, I'm lucky in a way because I'm of an age now where um, I'm not asked that question so much. And actually, I enjoy being, I enjoy everything I do. So I am mm. sort of busy. 
but I do take breaks. Mm. So talk to me more about the book um, and talk to me about some of the, the, well, firstly, what were some of the highlights of the people you interviewed? And secondly, what are some quick takeaways? Well, there's so many different tips in the book and I tried to make it accessible and I've heard from people that there are accessible things. Well, one of the things is I wrote this during 2020 when we were in lockdown and people say, how long did it take? I have no idea how long it took. It, and of course, it was a collaborative uh, effort. So I wasn't alone the way so many authors are. I was talking to the people I interviewed and then I went through what they said and wrote it all out and maybe took out some of the terminology that may have been more complex than most readers want to get into in this sort of book and then sent it back to them and said, is this what you said? Have I got it right? So that it was a wonderfully collaborative uh, effort. There are all sorts of people who give tips like uh, an optometrist about looking after our eyes, a dermatologist about looking after our skin, uh, an audiologist about our hearing. And, you know, all of these things are such precious gifts, Cheryl, aren't they? And Mm -hmm. until we can't see very well or we can't hear very well or uh, something's very wrong, we tend to take our body, which is a miracle, we tend to take it for granted, don't we? Mm-hmm. We do. And, and especially, I mean, that's what piqued my interest about your book is well-being and ageing because there's also a stigma about people write people off because they're old as well. I know. It's so that sad. Does that yes. does happen. Although a lot of my friends um, say to me, I'm starting to feel invisible. I don't feel that at all. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't feel it. I feel that Everyone talks to me. Wherever I go, people stop yes. me. Strangers talk to me on buses, trains, whatever. So I don't, I'm not quite sure what that is. But I guess it's how you, your outlook is. Well, oh, I didn't mention that about my parents. Their attitude was something I used to look at. And when you say strangers talk to you, Cheryl, I imagine you talk to ch- strangers. Now, one of, the, one of the tips in the book, and I think it's actually from Trevor Hendy, who is not a health professional, he was a very famous um, Ironman who won awards around the world and everyone looked up to him and he said, you know, people thought I was a god, but he was empty inside because he he wasn't being true to who, Mm. who he really was. And that's part of the energy. If you're pretending something, there's no way that you can be naturally energetic. One of the things he suggests is, and he wasn't the only one in the book to suggest that, is take a walk in the morning, say hello to people. Uh, You know, once in a while, people won't respond, they'll look shocked. But on the whole, when you smile and say hello to people, they smile back. I chat to everyone. I chat to dogs in the street. I chat to little kids. I chat to people. And it's just, uh, it makes me feel good. I hope it it works for them also. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're the same, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in the park every morning with my dog and we talk to everyone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I don't feel like talking, I put my headphones on and pretend I'm mm-hmm. listening yes. to something because I don't want to chat. But it is a community and that's what's happened. But even when I'm travelling, I think too, I think the thing, um, and you touched on this a little bit, you need to still have a curiosity about Mm. other people's lives. Mm. You need to listen. You need to ask questions. And I find that when I hear people's stories, obviously, because I do this podcast, but I do find that very fulfilling. But I also learn something. You know, every Mm. podcast I will pick up something and learn something, not just about myself. I'll learn something about life. Of course, I learn a lot about you, but it is a learning process, isn't it? 
Well, it is. And uh, that's part of having an interesting day, I think. Your mm-hmm. readers are learning something when they're reading. And some yeah. people prefer, they're not so outgoing, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps, but they're learning it on the printed page or however they're reading, don't you think? Mm. Oh, without a doubt. Whether it's fiction, and I know I did see the Facebook, the B Facebook video. Oh, you did, Jane. Yeah. So <laughs> I knew that I was not your favorite, that you really love fiction more than you do the B books. But so I was even more chuffed that you thought to talk about this book. Oh, gosh, yeah. I love fiction. But you know what I love the most? I love cookbooks. Oh, mm. with pretty my- pictures. Well, I cook yeah. a lot. Yeah, I bake oh. a lot. I find baking very, very therapeutic. And I've only taken that up late in life. You know, I took it just a year before COVID. I started baking and I haven't stopped. But, I mean, there is a lot of things and I do read nonfiction. But mm. I'm probably not into self-care like Jane is. She mm. meditates. She goes to some place and they don't talk for two weeks. And, I mean, I could <laughs> never do that. <laughs> I'm not, sure. I'm not sure I could do that either, no. <laughs> and she's always trying to get me to pause, which is great, you know. Yeah. Again, you're learning by talking to people all of the time, aren't you, and, and different yes. relationships. Yes. Um, talk to yeah. me about how your career came about. Talk to me how you came to me today in this capacity as an author of this book. Uh, you, you mean my writing career? Oh, well, your career, you know. Oh, where, career. Well, um, where did you grow up? I grew up all over the place. My father was a naval officer, so we moved every two years. And I've heard you say that being of uh, an Australian Lebanese, you felt strange at school. Well, I, I was in a different school every two years. So, yeah, that's hard. Um, I, ha- I think in retrospect, it was probably a good thing because I had to learn to make friends quickly and be accepted. Otherwise... I would have been uh, very lonely and I was an only child. So I didn't even have any siblings, oh, wow. yeah. just the three of us moving all the time. And and fiction, when I listened to your authors, I thought, oh, I would dearly love to have the ability to write a novel. But I have a feeling any novel I wrote would be so mediocre, although you keep saying it's practice. So maybe I could practice with one. Uh, and, and it's never too late, Alex. I and it's seen never people too late. publish at all ages. Um, mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yes, my only fiction was when I was in grade five in Burlingame, which isn't too far from San Francisco, Burlingame, when I happened yeah. to be there for a while. I wrote a, I wrote a story when I was in grade five. But uh, after that, I've always, in my work, I was a marriage counselor for 12 years. I was a career strategy consultant. Uh, what did, is that? What is a career story? Well, it, two things I did. One was when uh, executives were retrenched from their job and were lost and upset. There's a lot of grief in mm-hmm. that. Oh, that happened um, to me once. It was devastating. Devastating. Yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. devastating. So I used to look after people like that and get them back on the road again, thinking about what they really valued in their work, what they wanted more of, what they wanted less of, and writing resumes and practicing interviews and getting them up and going again. Or also just uh, generally for people to figure out what, uh, including young people, what am I suited for? What would give me Mm. most pleasure and uh, where would I do the best work I can do? Uh, So that was very rewarding. And then I've always done a bit of journalism or columns, um, when I was at the Marriage Guidance Council, I used to write newsletters. I've always written something. Mm. And, and how did you come to Australia? Guess what? <laughs> I married. Love. I married an. <laughs> yeah, I married an Australian. I married an Australian because he was singing waltzing Matilda across a crowded room at a Halloween party, <laughs> and uh, my parents were married here. Yeah. My parents met 
during the war in Sydney. Oh, wow. And so married, you had a connection. Sure, uh, and that's why I had to gamble up to him while he was singing Walsy Matilda and say my parents were married in Australia. And here I am. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What do you identify as? A human. Yes, I know that. <laughs> but in terms of, of where, because, you know, I think identity is important. I mean, my friend, and, you know, I've talked about this a lot. My friend who is Australian and went to San Francisco and married a beautiful um, American woman from Boston, and now they have three children. So he's been there a long time, 20 years. But I feel that he's probably, even though he hasn't lost his accent, he's probably more American now than he is Australian. Do you think about that? Well, I, I honestly don't. I, I think possibly because I moved every two years growing up, that yes. maybe my and my yes. mother was English. She was English, so maybe there's not. There wasn't a really strong national commitment. And yeah. really, I left. I left America in 1967. Yeah, wow, that's a long time. Yes, it's a long so time. So I'm very, I'm very happy to be an Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you identify as that. I mean, often when I talk to fiction writers, you know, you'll probably know this, like Peter Carey, for instance, he's still, even though he's lived in New York forever, mm. he's still, most of his books, bar one, I think, most of his books are set in Australia. Mm. Yes, that's where his psyche and his imagination is. And place, um, his sense of and place. And place, yeah. Yes. That's interesting. I find that really interesting. So then you're here in Australia and you're working in those counsellor roles mm. here mainly. Mm. I feel that counselling is a very hard gig because I'm a good listener and I like to hear people's stories, but do you have to come up with a solution? No. Talk and to I me about that. Well, I think it's actually inappropriate to come up with a solution and most people don't want solutions Mm. In the same way, even with this book, which I cherish, mm-hmm. um, people don't want to be told what to do. Don't you think that's right? Oh, I think it's true, but that could drive me crazy. You know, like when somebody <laughs> asks me, <laughs> I think it's true. I am, and I know this about myself, if I ask you for advice, mm. right, and it's the right advice, I will do it. I am that person. I'll execute that, right? Mm-hmm. But I have people that ask me for advice, even about cooking, you know, any kind of advice, and I'll say, well, you'll need to add more curry or whatever, and they don't do it. And that I find very frustrating because if you want to affect change, and you obviously do because you're asking the questions, then you don't take it on board. It may be. You may have one of the secrets of learning, Cheryl, that, you know, we have, particularly if you interact with a lot of people, I always think, other heads are, I loved having other people's ideas and um, mm. they know more about 
you know, what do I know? I know what mm. I've learned in my own lifetime. So they've learned, different people have learned different things that I can gain information from. In terms of frustration, well, of course, it was frustrating sometimes, particularly when you're with two people. Mm. Uh, and what I learned I over, yeah. oh, uh, and, and often very steamy, uh, yeah. aggravated when they come mm. in. But I thought what I did often was, I was, I was almost a translator in two different languages. So mm. I could hear one and respond to one and maybe the other one heard something different in their partner because of the way I was talking to them and vice versa. No, I didn't give advice. I helped them to get to a place where they could think differently and make some different choices mm. or not. Mm. Do you think the path to well-being is, is it about being self-aware? Is it about aging gracefully? Is it What's your perception of it? Because look well at you. Being. I mean, you are a prime example of, <laughs> of aging beautifully. Well, thank you. I mean, I do have the genes, and yet yeah. I do I do look after myself, and uh, partly because of all the people that I've met in this book who have given me such good ideas. Mm. It's just important to me to feel well because then I can keep doing th- things I want to do, Cheryl. You know, to mm. wake up in the morning. And we've all had, you wake up in the morning, you feel like you're in glue and you've got things to do, but you're not going to enjoy them or do them well. So I love waking up in the morning and feeling, you know, ready to go for a walk. I wish I had a dog with me to go for a walk like you do. But yeah, so I think we can learn to feel better. I think there are certain things we can do. And that was the reason I wanted so much to write this book with lots of different ideas that people can look through and think, well, nah, I wouldn't do that. No, no. Here's something that I might be interested in. Mm. Habits are extremely difficult to change. They're unconscious. We do so much in automatic. So I'm not saying it's easy to change habits, but there are so many easy tips that, that you can adopt. One of the ones that got me going was the joint mobility And now that is so simple. And I tested it out and was amazed because I was very tired one day. My knees were hurting and I rotated. She, she, this is Elise uh, Giovanni. She talks about rotating our joints, which is so easy while you're baking bread. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's right. And also you're a swimmer. I'm a swimmer. uh, And one of the tips was don't stretch before doing your exercise. Wait until after your exercise to swim to stretch. So before swimming, for instance, I make sure I'm, mm. I'm just warming up those muscles that I, and the joints that I'm going to use for that particular exercise for swimming. A golfer can do the same thing. That kind of makes sense to me. Mm. I think movement is mm. underestimated because, you know, people are just like, oh, you know, they think exercise is having to go to the gym and mm. having to do an hour's workout every day and you know, that is very hard for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, and some people don't like swimming, some, but walking and moving, just leaving mm. your house or your apartment, mm. I think is really crucial as we age. You're talking about two things. One is nature. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about taking, and 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 a dog is nature. You know, I, mm. we don't have an animal. And I stop and talk to every dog in the street, whether or not the person at the other end of the dog has time for me to talk to the dog. So that's part of nature. But even if you're living in a busy city and you've got a tree or some grass or just something to connect with nature, that makes such a difference. Mm. The other thing about movement is that 
we need to move in the house. Now, whether it's you're in the kit, you're standing up in the kitchen, you're making bread, then you're sitting down and you're doing something. We need not to stay in one position for too long. Now, I might say that to your readers, because if there's a particularly good book, you can sit for hours, just read, but it would be better to get up, move around, have a little stretch and come back and read the next chapter. Mm. Do you know, um, during COVID, as I said, I live alone and I really found it very challenging. I know. It was Mm. hard, really hard. And I'm sure it's hard for a lot of people out there. And I was lucky, like what I was finding hard was the isolation, but everything else I was, you know, I didn't affect my work. I still had income and everything else. So I decided to give myself a project every day. Mm-hmm. right outside of work because I wasn't seeing anyone so I was allowed to have one person and I had a friend that came over for lunch every Sunday and so he had to tell me he had to put in a request what he'd like to eat and he was a dessert person so it was usually dessert and I'm not a dessert person and it was my only brief to him was that it had to be complex and that I had to oh. work it out in the week and do you know that was very fulfilling because I had to work on that almost every single day mm. to deliver on Sunday. And I think that as well as moving, that's brain movement. That's mm. like us planning all the time. And I think, I mean, I'm a person that needs a project almost every day. That motivates me. And I think when you stop wanting to do things, that that's problematic, don't you think? I do. And the psychologist in the book who just happens to be our daughter Oh yeah. <laughs> By the way, this, yeah. well, I thought she she does. She's a very wise psychologist. Yeah, I thought, absolutely. why, why yeah. go elsewhere? Uh, one of the, she talks about our values and being true to our values and what we do. But she also talks about purpose, which is sort of what you're talking yes. about. You know, the daily purpose or guiding purpose. Or without that, we're we're a little adrift. We are. We are. And I've talked about this before, Alex. You would have heard me talk about happiness and happiness is in the moment. But happiness, purpose, all those things. So when I wake up in the morning, I try to only concentrate on the happiness of the day. Oh, well, that is a gift. I mean, it may not be a gift. It's a skill or it's a habit habit that you've developed. There's a chapter in the book about optimism. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of detail about how optimism contributes to longevity and well-being. One of the things he talks about, is, which we all know, is gratitude. Mm-hmm. So he suggests that every evening before we go to sleep, we write down three things about the day that we're very grateful for. Mm-hmm. Now, some people think, eh, it's just been a regular day. Well, you know, a lot of people around the, around the world do not have a hot shower. Uh, they don't have water. You turn a tap and we've got water to drink mm. or someone, or you've met another dog in the street or a person to mm. smile to. There is always something to be grateful for. So to write those things before you go to sleep and then think about them in the morning makes for a very different day. It does. In the days prior to my mother dying, so we as a family, because there's a lot of us, the six kids, we took shifts in, in being with her and helping her with this transition. And I got the 5am shift because mm. uh, I am an early morning person. And the first 5am to 4pm was really, really hard, right? Mm. And I got thinking about all those shift workers that I've never thought about before, you know. I mean, that is a long day and a Mm. hard day to Mm. go in when it's dark and you come out, you know, it was tough. And because of it it was COVID, we weren't allowed in and out. So I thought when I got home that night, I have to turn this around, you know, because we can be doing this for a month. I have to make some kind of value out of that time there. 
otherwise it's you know I'm not going to be able to put up with it Mm. so that's when I started writing little pieces about her oh Mm. Mm. yes fair and also you had uh, Chloe Hooper's book and I had Chloe Hooper's book at just the right time have you read it that's no I haven't I I I know Chloe's mother quite well and I've met Chloe yes yes all right so I'll I will read it yes yeah a bedtime story, I think it's called. Do you That's know when right. I finished reading it, I sent Chloe a note and I couldn't even remember the name of the title. Of oh. the book, but it didn't matter. It wasn't it just about that. came at the right time for it you, It came Cheryl. at the right yes. time. But again, it's coming back to purpose. It's going back to making the most out of a really difficult mm-hmm. situation, you know, putting a positive slant on it. And another thing too is interacting with the carers who I felt mm-hmm. were beautiful people. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a young man there and this is a real a story about making the most out of everything. So dementia patients don't sleep a lot. You probably know that. I didn't know that until mum got dementia. So they're really, they're kind of awake Mm. 24-7. There was this young man at this nursing home. He would, and I saw this because I started coming in at five in the morning. He would just dance with them. Oh, how gorgeous, how gorgeous. Up and down the corridor. Oh. He was like 24, 25. Oh, how divine. How absolutely divine. And I heard such a lovely story, whether it's apocryphal, whether it's real, but I heard about a a grand a granddaughter going to her grand visitor grandmother who had dementia. And the granddaughter said, Do you do you know who I am? Do you know who I am, grandma? And the grandma said, Well, I don't know your name, but I know I love you. (laughs) Which is too heavenly, isn't it? Mm. Beautiful. Just yes, it's too heavenly. So, but also in terms of reframing, I thought it was so lucky that you were able to get to your mother because you were far away. And mm. what if she mm. died before you could be with her? That was mm. no. That I was, was very lucky. And my mm. sisters, they said, you know, time to come home. And uh, yeah, so I did. Mm. And then one of my friends over there, um, who's a very se- very senior in public health, she said, until she stops, you've you know, you've got time. And she was still mm. up and about then. So I oh, know. well, that's so good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Painful, lots, but special. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Lots of mm. great support. And we celebrated a big, a great life. You know, that's, that's what it's about is recognizing it. And it, and it happened in the order that it was meant to happen. You know, she was our mum, and she was 83, 84. Talking about genes. And I've, mm. I've talked about this. She comes from a family of nine. Right. Yes. Yeah. And only, uh, Three of them have died in the last two years. Really? Which is quite extraordinary when you have a lot of children and also because, you know, three quarters of them are in a war-torn country. But think how much optimism, curiosity, guts it takes to leave all you've known and come across to a new land and make a new life for your children. Mm. You see, so she had all of those elements Mm. that made for a good life, including making those cardigans for you. Yes, I liked how you said that in the email. Oh, she was such a great knitter. She was such a great oh. knitter. Do you know, she knitted a little bit in her dementia. She couldn't get past a certain point, but she did knit, knit a little bit. Oh. Alex, I feel as though we're kind of kindred spirits. Um, the book is called Energy for Life. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Mm, I've really enjoyed it, Cheryl. Very special. Thank you so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. 
or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.